It's time for Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. As of late, I've been doing a series of programs on the lost books of the Bible and Gnostic Gospels. Today's program is about exploring the spiritual wisdom of the lost books of the Bible. I'll start off with some historic background and then quickly transition to the good stuff, spiritual discourses based on various verses to be found in some of these ancient texts. I'm holding in my hand a copy of the Gospel of Thomas, the very first edition of the Gospel of Thomas to be published in the English language back in 1959 decades before the rest of the books of the Nag Hammadi Library were published in English and sitting on bookshelves. Back there in 1959, Thomas got published. The very first edition appeared. I was in a used bookstore and managed to grab this unusual first edition. The Gospel of Thomas. 1959. It begins with this verse. These are the secret words which the living Jesus spoke, and Didymos Judas Thomas wrote. And he said, Whoever finds the explanation of these words will not taste death. The Gospel of Thomas is a collection of 114 sayings of Jesus. Some of these sayings were discovered a few decades prior to 1948, and they were located at a rubbish dump in Oxyrhynchus, Egypt. Some scholars were excavating Oxyrhynchus, finding tons of Coptic manuscripts dating back to the early centuries of Christianity. And they found a few pages of sayings of Jesus and published those under the title Sayings of Our Lord. They didn't know what gospel these sayings of Jesus was from. It was kind of a mystery. They were most intriguing sayings of Jesus. Sayings not found in the Bible. It made people think. It made people wonder. Where did those sayings come from? Then, during the month of December 1945, the books of the Nag Hammadi Library were found at another location in Egypt. One of those books is the Gospel of Thomas, and it turned out that the sayings of our Lord sayings, those mysterious sayings of Jesus found at Oxyrhynchus, were part of a larger collection, a collection of 114 sayings of Jesus, copied down by the Apostle Thomas, and published under the name Gospel of Thomas. Some context about the books of the Nag Hammadi Library, including the Gospel of Thomas, and then we'll move into the realms of experience a present tense, experiencing a present tense kingdom of God. We'll delve into the spiritual wisdom of these writings. Not only during medieval times, but going all the way back to the days of the Roman Empire and its occupation of Israel, 
We find violence and religious intolerance being accepted as the norm, even by those claiming to represent the pious. One day during 68 AD, over the hills came the Roman legions to raid the Essene headquarters at Qumran. Now taken out, now removed from the scene by force, the Essenes were once upon a time another whole branch of Judaism. Close to the ruins of Qumran, near the Dead Sea, is the location where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered several decades ago, hidden away in various caves during the first century AD by Essene Jews, who knew their days were numbered. Not merely once, not merely twice, but on at least three separate occasions, angry mobs have burned the brain and internet of the ancient world known as the Great Library of Alexandria in Egypt, which can only be described as a tragic lobotomy of the human race on a planetary scale. We're describing here the loss of libraries. Politicians usually are very narcissistic and have little interest in spiritual matters. Scholarship, they don't care about. Wisdom, they don't care about. They aren't really the spiritual type. Eventually, for political reasons, an emperor decided to make himself the ruler of Christianity, the archon of the church. A state church breach amounting to the occupation of another religion. Only this time, not occupying geography like Palestine, but occupying within. The new official religion of the Roman Empire's war on its own mystics, saints, quietists, Gnostics, minority sects, indigenous apostolic churches in various regions, Ebionites, Valentinians, Sethians, and then eventually Manichaeans, Cathars, Bogomils, and other so-called heretics, unfortunately was largely successful. Innovative spiritual movements were declared to be heretical, informed they could no longer hold any public gatherings. Everyone was supposed to join the one official church of the Roman Empire, with Constantine, its chief apostle and leader, or archon. Brilliant minds fell out of favor, their voices silenced. During a time in Egypt when heresy hunters were engaging in Gnostic cleansing, a hard-line bishop from Alexandria issued an edict, Athanasius's infamous festal letter of 367 AD, proclaiming that out of the hundreds of sacred texts popular amongst the Christians read during those days, from that point forward only 27 New Testament books were officially to be recognized. The rest of the Gospels, Acts, Revelations, and other scriptures were to be removed from circulation, discarded, and forever banned. The process of creating an official canon of approved scripture and creating lists of cursed or banned books to be rejected wasn't simply about scholars figuring out which books were genuine and getting people to discard the rest. 
Rather, there was a political dimension to it. What was going on during that 4th century period was those following one particular interpretation of Christianity asserting themselves over all others by purging the majority of religions and their scriptures in circulation, keeping only a small percentage of books that seemed helpful to their cause of unity under a single religious franchise of the empire. Scores of the books of wisdom, poetry, prayers, masterfully written spiritual discourses, a wonderful treasure trove of Judeo-Christian and Hermetic literature, representing a multiverse of possibilities appreciated by some discerning souls as sources of spiritual inspiration and guidance, were thrown out, hidden away, censored or forgotten. As it says in George Orwell, 1984, those who control the present control the past, and those who control the past control the future. Or at least that was the plan back there in the 4th century under the Church of Constantine. But things don't always work out. Things don't always stay buried forever. Sometimes the winds of change blow the sands of time and uncover that which is hidden beneath. In Oxyrhynchus, Egypt, was discovered a saying of Jesus from what we now know to be the Gospel of Thomas, which says, Know what is in front of your face, and what is hidden from you will be revealed to you, for there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nor anything buried which will not be raised. Including that very verse from that very book. And then in December of 1945, a collection of ancient scriptures was uncovered near the village of Nag Hammadi in Egypt, another location in Egypt. These texts had been placed in a clay storage jar, sealed and buried sometime during the 4th century AD, when all of this mayhem was going on with uh, Constantine and removing books, emptying the bookshelves of all except for 27 books of New Testament writings. These books of Nag Hammadi had been placed in a clay storage jar and buried sometime during the 4th century. They most likely were hidden there at the time by monks who lived at a nearby monastery founded by St. Pacomius. They would have been sacred scriptures once copied and preserved as part of the library of this monastic community, one of several Pacomian monasteries operating in Egypt during the 4th century. Most of the Nag Hammadi scholars suspect that after the monastery received the above-mentioned Easter letter from Athanasius in 367 AD, they decided to hide away these particular books. For all we know, there could be more writings in other clay jars that remain buried and lost. Actually, there have been many such discoveries of ancient Coptic texts made in, around, or nearby various Egyptian monasteries. I have in my library 
a number of such writings that didn't get the PR, didn't get all of the cable TV specials that were discovered back before the internet, before biblical archaeology type publications and websites got going, before satellite and cable TV. And they just really fell through the cracks. The Gospel of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ by the Apostle Bartholomew. So many other texts, so many amazing writings have turned up that just, you know, people don't know about them. They're published, they're in English, but they're hard to get in obscure volumes that scholars might know about or theological seminary libraries might have on their dusty shelves. A lot of great stuff that people don't know about. But for some reason, the Nag Hammadi got a lot of attention. This almost 2,000-year-old time capsule, now known as the Nag Hammadi Library, has set in motion a spiritual revolution. Buried under the sands of time for centuries, these censored and forgotten scriptures from the early years of Christianity are imparting to spiritual seekers of today knowledge about several denominations and spiritual movements that once existed long ago. This ancient library contains spiritual discourses from Jesus, like the Gospel of Thomas and Dialogue of the Savior, James the Just, brother and spiritual successor of Jesus, Hermetic wisdom, Sethian Jewish mystical texts, writings from the Valentinian Christians. Valentinians and Orthodox Christians all used to attend church together, attended Mass together, but eventually went their separate ways after this more uh, hard-line attitude developed under, Ath- under Athanasius and under, of course, Constantine and those he appointed to run his church. There are also Pythagorean texts and writings from other spiritual movements found amongst this collection now known as the Nag Hammadi Library. Instead of a wafer-thin New Testament at the end of a very big New York City phone book-sized old covenant, how about a huge collection of literature including poetry? Some of the twelve surviving codices of Nag Hammadi, or Gnostic Gospels, are organized with a curious New Testament-like format of Gospels followed by letters or spiritual discourses and then books of Revelation or heavenly apocalypses. These revelations are not about politics or predicting the end of the world. Apocalypse just means revelation. These revelations consist of the visionary or out-of-body encounters by various saints traveling through the seven heavens, hanging out with angels, hearing the angelic music of praise and other heavenly sounds, describing their visions of the divine throne, Merkaba mysticism or throne mysticism, and so on. There is a rich spiritual heritage that once was read by people during the second century, and we've got many of those writings back again. But the tragedy of history didn't really end with Athanasius and Constantine during the hard line early days 
of the 4th and 5th centuries back there in antiquity. The misplacing, forgetting, and random destruction of wisdom, the purging of libraries, emptying of the bookshelves, is all very much part of the story of spirituality on planet Earth. Muhammad Ali al-Saman and his brothers found the texts of Nag Hammadi back in December of 1945, found the clay jar containing those writings. And he took those writings home. Muhammad Ali al-Saman's mother would would often grab a few pages of Coptic texts and use them for kindling in the morning to light the family wood stove and make tea and perhaps do some cooking also. They took those Nag Hammadi writings home and sat them next to the family wood stove there in the village where they lived and used the first, uh, you know, codex for kindling. No doubt it was very nice tea, brewed thanks to the sacrifice of a few pages of unknown or lost Nag Hammadi pages, perhaps some chapters of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene or the book of Third Allegenus. The misplacing, the forgetting, and the random destruction of wisdom is all very much part of the story of Gnosticism on planet Earth. But perhaps we can remain hopeful, like the author of the Gospel of Thomas, who said, Know what is in front of your face and what is hidden from you will be revealed to you. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything buried which will not be raised. There is a spiritual wisdom found in these writings. The Gospel of Thomas is a wisdom gospel. Clement of Alexandria, Egypt, said there were two kinds of gospels circulating back in his day. There were storytelling gospels for the newbies, for the new believers, the new converts, introductory type gospels, if you will. And then there were gospels for those being perfected in the faith, those who were being initiated into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Gospels for the Mature. The Gospel of Thomas is one of those books for the contemplative, spiritual-seeking soul. And there are many such books in this wisdom category. Wisdom Gospels for Wisdom Christians, or the mystically inclined, contemplative-type souls. And after the break, I want to delve into the wisdom of these writings. The wisdom, the spirituality. Now that we've gotten this far and described why some of these writings were taken out of circulation, I want to talk about how they reveal a present tense kingdom of God. One of the sayings in the Gospel of Thomas, near the beginning of the book, placed there deliberately, I think, to help define the book, goes like this. Jesus said, If those who lead you say to you, See, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will get there before you do. 
If they say it is under the sea, then the fish will arrive there first. Rather, the kingdom is within you and is in your midst. After the break, I want to delve into this present tense kingdom of God described in the Gospel of Thomas that doesn't require calendars, calculators, fresh batteries, speculating about the end of the world, calculating dates on calendars, kingdoms that are in the sky, in the by and by. We human beings are children of the present tense. That's where we reside, and that's where we can find a present tense kingdom of God. We'll explore the wisdom of the wisdom scriptures of Nag Hammadi and other texts. After these messages, you're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned. Today on Spiritual Awakening Radio, the spiritual wisdom of the lost books of the Bible. The wisdom found in wisdom gospels. Those books that were once rejected have survived the ravages of time and survived Muhammad Ali al-Saman's mother's wood stove, writings that were not torched scriptures that were not used as kindling to make tea in the 1940s, writings that have survived all of these attempts to extinguish knowledge from planet Earth, the surviving Gospels. What a long, strange trip it has been. The following reading comes from Eugnostus the Blessed, one of the books of Nag Hammadi. speaking about the philosophy of the world, various schools of philosophy about the origin of the world. The wisest among them have speculated about the truth from the ordering of the world, and the speculation has not reached truth, for the ordering is spoken of in three different opinions held by the philosophers, hence they do not agree some of them say about the world that it was directed by itself, others that it is providence that directs it, others that it is fate. But it is none of these. Again, of the three opinions that I have just mentioned, none is true. For whatever is from itself is an empty life. It is self-made. Providence is foolish. Fate is an undiscerning thing. Whoever then is able to get free of these three opinions I have just mentioned and come by means of another voice to confess the God of truth and agree in everything concerning him, he is immortal dwelling in the midst of mortal men. That paragraph from Eugnostus the Blessed reminds me of the opening 
verse of the Sarbachan Radhaswami prose of Swamiji Maharaj. This world is perishable, and so also is all that pertains to it. A wise man is he who, having closely examined the nature of existence here, has realized it is all transitory and illusory, and consecrated his human form by devoting himself to bhajan and simran, meaning listening to the inner sound in meditation and the repetition of the holy name of the Supreme Being, and who, taking the fullest advantage of the various faculties which the Supreme Father has graciously endowed him with, has translated the invaluable jewel within him, which is spirit, or surat, or the essence of his being, to its original abode. Back to the Nag Hammadi again. This is from Zastrianos. Awaken your divine nature. Awaken your divine nature to God. Strengthen your soul to be without evil. Seek what is permanent, what is not created or generated. The Father of everything summons you. You have not come to suffer. Rather, you have come to escape from what binds you. Release yourself, and what has bound you will be undone. Save yourself so that what is in you, or that which is within you, may be saved. Why are you hesitating? Turn around when you are sought, when you are summoned. Listen. So how do we do this? What is the means, what is the direction that we must look in in order to find the soul, that divine nature, that supreme being, that kingdom of God that is available to us here and now, free of all of the limited philosophies and belief systems of the world? This passage from the Acts of Peter provides a great description of contemplative meditation practice. The Acts of Peter is mostly known for its story about how the Apostle Peter was about to be crucified, and Peter requested of those who were about to kill him to crucify him upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. He requested to be crucified upside down. That story from the Acts of Peter is fairly famous, fairly well known. But this particular verse from the same book, for me, is the most noteworthy. Give ear. Withdraw your souls from all that appears but is not truly real. Close these eyes of yours. Close your ears. Withdraw from actions that are outwardly seen, and you shall know the reality of Christ and the whole secret of your salvation. That's an amazing verse. 
It's found in the Acts of Peter. The translation I'm using here is from the other Bible, edited by Willis Barnstone, a great bargain, a great collection of apocryphal writings, Nag Hammadi books and Dead Sea Scroll material, Manichaean, Mandaean writings, and so on, Book of Enoch, Odes of Solomon. It is just so amazing. It's a passage that sounds something you'd find in a Buddhist sutra or Hindu Upanishad. Give ear, withdraw your souls from all that appears but is not truly real. Close these eyes of yours, close your ears, withdraw from actions that are outwardly seen, and you shall know the reality of Christ and the whole secret of your salvation. Meditation. Be still and know that I am God. Like it says in Psalm 46.10, another verse about meditation. Be still and know. Be still. Be. A great definition of meditation. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. More wisdom from Wisdom Gospels. After these messages, stay tuned. Wisdom from the Forgotten Gospels The Spirituality of the Lost Books of the Bible Today on Spiritual Awakening Radio The seven ingredients of a living spiritual path according to the teachings of the Nag Hammadi Library and the great consensus of all saints and mystics of all generations right up to the living present Principle number one, there is always the need for living teachers, living saints, living masters, with living students. A teacher in the classroom, past masters, scrolls, cuneiform tablets, or old scriptures are not enough. A living guide is required. If we're being our own guru, trying to interpret and figure things out on our own, we are likely to get something wrong and to miss a lot. Now we see through a glass darkly, said St. Paul. We have our cultural shortcomings and blind spots, prejudice, a lot we might miss. Furthermore, if this spiritual path doesn't work for other people, why would we think it's going to start working for us? If it hasn't worked for others who came before us, who are our elders, who have experience with this, have developed, have walked this path, have become the embodiment of this path, well, they have to exist, right? If it's all real, they exist. If they don't exist, if this doesn't work for anyone, it's not going to work for us either. 
but if the spiritual journey is real, then there are living embodiments of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. We do have elders. There are those who have gone before us, who have walked this path and could serve as great living guides, spiritual guides, offering us their wisdom. Rumi says, if you seek to know God, sit at the feet of the saints. And Rumi also says, don't be satisfied with stories, how things have gone with others. Unfold your own myth. Paraphrasing that, you know, get your own spiritual path. Have your own encounter with the Supreme Being here and now. Principle number two, a cosmology of several different heavens. Not just one heaven, not just two, not just three, but according to the wisdom of the Gnostic Gospels and all of the great saints and mystics of the ages, there are several different heavens. And these are not physical. It's not a hell that is below, underneath the Earth's crust in the magma, and a heaven that's out beyond Pluto, out beyond the Oort cloud or Andromeda, physically up in a physical material sky. More like Wi-Fi, more like infrared and ultra, ultraviolet, radio waves, signals. The heavenly realms are other dimensions, other dimensions of the multiverse. That's what we're talking about here. Blessed are those chosen and unified. The realm of the kingdom is theirs. For out of her you have come, and back to her you are returning. Saying 49, Gospel of Thomas. Principle number three. There is an understanding that souls can access the kingdom of the heavens here and now during this present life. No need for calendars, prophecies, postponing the spiritual life till some magical date on the calendar in some hypothesized future age. Enough talk already. Belief systems and prophecies are a dime a dozen and are just concepts of the mind. Thoughts, which hopefully can be transcended. As Tulsi Sahib of Hathras once said in a poem, in this life the concept of salvation all describe. To meet the Lord by dying while living, none discloses. They all speak of the goal of salvation after death. How to attain it while living, no one says. Were they to reveal the method of attaining release while living, then alone would Tulsi be convinced of their words. Who speak after seeing with their own eyes and teach the method of salvation during life are of the stage and stature of saints for they reveal the quintessence of the soul. Principle number four, an initiation into the mysteries of the kingdom of the heavens, imparting to spiritual seekers in each generation of time, including this one, how to get there from here. The role of the living master is described so well in saying 17, 
of the Gospel of Thomas, the living master and the initiation process. Well, not the details, but the goals, the general principle. What your own eyes cannot see. Your human ears do not hear. Your physical hands do not touch. And what is inconceivable to the human mind, that I will give to you. Saying 17, Gospel of Thomas. It's a verse of scripture now, but for those being initiated, it was an experience between them and their living teacher. Not a scripture, but real life between master and students. As it says in the Gospel of Judas, Come, that I may teach you about secrets no person has ever seen. For there exists a great and boundless realm whose extent no generation of angels has seen, in which there is a great invisible spirit, which no eye of an angel has seen, no thought of the heart has ever comprehended, and it never was called by any name. In other words, nameless. A great name of God in the East and in the West. The nameless one. The unknown God. The God whose name is beyond all names and earthly language. The nameless God. After the break, Principles 5, 6, and 7. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned. More after these messages. If you'd like to receive a copy of these seven spiritual principles, these seven key ingredients of a living spiritual path, according to the wisdom of the wisdom gospels and the consensus of all the saints and mystics of the generations, send me an email at this address. I'll send these to you. My email address is james at spiritualawakeningradio.com Principle number five, living ingredient number five of a spiritual path, a viable, living, contemplative spiritual path. Visionary and auditory mysticism, inner light and sound, spiritual seeing and hearing, the soul has eyes and the soul has ears and there is this potential to explore the kingdom of the heavens to explore inner space the Gnostic Gospels are filled with descriptions of souls traveling within exploring various heavenly regions and we can do that too John of Delyatha once said, Look at God within yourself, how God is light. For his nature is a glorious, many-splendored light. 
He manifests the light of his nature to those who love him in all the worlds. What an amazing passage. In all the worlds. It's a big universe out there. Swamiji Maharaj in his Sarbachan Radhaswami poetry says, when you turn your eye inwards in the brain and you see the heavens within and your spirit leaves the body and rises upwards, you will see the heavenly sky in which is located the thousand-petaled lotus. More on this inward journey of the soul from Yogani Mataji. At first, Mataji pointed out, there will only be darkness, but eventually light will appear in the form of either small flashes or small star-like points. In any case, one should focus on the radiance, keeping one's Simran, the repetition of names of God, intact and allowing the light to draw the soul inward. Allowing the light to draw the soul inward. The third and most important step, Mataji said, is to listen to the sound that issues forth from the light. It is this internal music which will numb the body and allow the consciousness to leave its ordinary dwelling. By riding this current of light and sound like a fish going upstream, the soul will be able to go back to its original home. On the journey within, however, the soul must be guided by a true master, so as to not be detained in any of the lower illusory regions. According to Madhaji, what near-death patients experience is only the beginning of a vast sojourn into great universes of light, love, and beauty. Principle number six. There is an ethical code of inner and outer peace, of ahimsa, or non-violence in thought, word, and deed, that comes standard with the spiritual path. Outer peace is required in order to have enough peace in one's life to concentrate and go within. And those who do find inner peace, which in turn brings more peace into one's life. This ethical code of nonviolence also includes a vegetarian diet. See the Nag Hammadi book called The Prayer of Thanksgiving. I can also send you some links about the vegetarianism of the Jesus movement, Gnostic Gospels, and world religions. Send me an email. I can send you links to those if you like. And number seven, the goal of the teachings and contemplative meditation practice is about experiencing direct union with God. Miguel Molinos, in his book about spiritual guides called the spiritual guide said the centermost part of your being there is the supreme region it is the sacred temple of the spirit 
In other words, you are the sacred temple of the Spirit. And accessing the kingdom of the heavens takes place within you. Therefore, meditation is central to this path. Within this body breathes the secret essence. Within this body beats the heart of the scriptures. Within this body shines the entire universe. Hermits, ascetics, celibates, all are lost, seeking him in endless guises. Seers and sages perfectly parrot the scriptures and holy books, blinded by intellect. Their pilgrimage and fasting and striving but delude. Despite their perfect practice, they discover no destination. Only the saints who know the body's heart have attained the ultimate, O Tulsi. Realize this, and you found your freedom. While teachers trapped in tradition know only the mirage in the mirror. A poem of Tulsi Sahib of Hathras, India about the reality of inner space finding the kingdom of God within you. I will conclude this week's program with a short verse from the Anurag Sagar of Kabir, Kabir's Ocean of Love. As oil is hidden in the lotus, in the same way Sat Purush, the Supreme Being, used to live hidden. In his will he created the souls and looked at them and he felt very happy. This is the beginning of our journey, and it also is our destination. Thanks for joining me today on Spiritual Awakening Radio.